Hey, what's going on everybody? This is Malachias with a Warrior's Garden and this is going to be a rough one. I don't believe in doing trigger warnings, but if you don't want to talk about trauma or traumatic loss or suicide, it's not the episode for you. Um, so yeah, let's just get into it. Um, I served 17 years in the United States Army. I lost six friends downrange. One of them while I was there. Um, one after our deployment together and then the others were different deployments but they were very close friends of mine I'm going to tell you a little bit about each one of them today so and I'm going to talk to you about some things that have happened recently so let's start with let me get these in order of me learning about them and, and knowing about them and all of that stuff like that. You know what? No. I'm just going to do this. So I was deployed 2007, 2008 for the surge in Iraq, and my friend Mason Lewis was killed. He was killed because of piss-poor leadership. He was killed because of bad decisions made by those in senior leader levels, at senior leader levels. Um, and I'm not going to say anybody's name. It just wasn't a good situation. Mason was an armor. He was a former infantryman. He was a gunner on a gun truck for a security platoon. He was a hell of a guy. He'd give you the shirt off his back. He'd give you anything you needed. He'd take care of you. He was killed by an Iraqi pretending to be on our team. Sergeant First Class Daniel Pettitore was Special Forces, Active Duty Army. We met in Vermont at the Army Mountain Warfare School. He was killed in Afghanistan December 5th, 2001 by an Air Force misdrop because they didn't do their job properly, which, you know, it's heat of battle, things happen. It's the risk that we take when we join. Paul Clark Velke. Paul and I deployed together 2009 to 2010 during Operation New Dawn. And then we came back and he redeployed to Afghanistan and was killed on the FOB in Afghanistan in the motor pool. It was an accidental death. Brian Penniston. Brian and I went to high school together. We went to Bishop Dwanger in Fort Wayne. Brian taught me how to wrestle. We played football together. Junior high, we played football against each other. Brian was a state champion wrestler and he was killed. He was shot down in a Chinook helicopter coming home on leave. It was a last minute decision for him he was coming home to get married and the Chinook that he was in was the very first Chinook helicopter shot down in Iraq in 2004. Michael Heaster and Michael Fiscus. Michael Heaster was the first NCO that I reported to in the Indiana Army National Guard and Michael Fiscus was the first officer that I ever served under as a platoon leader. Probably one of the best company commanders that I've ever had in my military career. And they were killed by a Russian landmine on the FOB in Afghanistan. My understanding was they were heading out to set up a weapons qualification range with the Afghani army and teach them how to set one up and how to make it happen. These are all friends of mine. Like personally, I personally knew, like I knew Michael Heaster and I knew Fiscus for 10, 12 years. I knew Brian Penniston from, wow, 90, 1989. He was killed in 04. I only knew Major Velke for a few years, and I only knew Mason for a few years. Mason made a huge impact on my life. And I met 
Daniel Pettithori back in like the early 2000s. That's six bracelets that I wear. And I know I get a lot of, every once in a while, I get like some jokes and, and some flack from other vets because they're, I didn't know when I first started buying these bracelets to, to honor them and to memorialize them that you could put more than one name on a bracelet. And so I just bought one for one. When they start to break, because they will, eventually they'll break, I'll, I'll replace them with a individual bracelet for each wrist, all three on one, all three on one. Because the funny thing was, it's like the way that they're set up, the way that I wear them now on my right arm, it's all active duty service members that I served with. So like Paul Belke, Mason Lewis, and Dan Pettithori that we all, we served together during active duty periods. And then Heaster, Fiscus, and Penniston and I are all from Indiana. You know, like three of us served in the guard together and then Brian and I went to high school together in Indiana. I mean, it's rough, man. You know I mean? It's sick. I mean, I know there's, there's vets out there that have lost way more than me, larger amounts, shorter periods of time, sometimes like all at once. You know, I'm, I'm not the only one that goes through it, but it seems at times that I'm one of the few that's willing to talk about it. And I think that we need to, that's something that we need to start doing. Um, just recently, I mean, this is, you know, I'm going to date this so everybody understands. Like this is January 19th, 2020 that I'm recording this episode. January 19th of 2020 on Christmas day of 2019 a guy that I knew for a very long time his name is Dan he was a bass player that I worked with and wrote music with I'm not going to put his last name in there because I just don't want to anyway he got in trouble was in jail and he took his own life in the jail that hit pretty hard because like I said that was on Christmas day it was rough I'm not going to lie I guess my understanding was he got picked up the day before and then he got arrested on the day. He took his life on Christmas Day. So a couple weeks ago, I got home from work on a Friday, took my mom to a doctor's appointment. And then I came home from that and got on Facebook and saw that a very close friend of mine. We didn't serve together. We met through a mutual friend that they went to basic training together. But I was introduced to him through Facebook, Daniel O'Connor. Daniel went to bed on Thursday night and didn't wake up. The very next day, so I find this out on Friday, and that took the wind right out of my sails. The very next day on Saturday morning, I find out on Friday about Dan. Saturday morning, I'm coming home. I'm a, a member of Oath Keepers locally. I'm the medic. I'm the team medic, and I learned that on the way home from that breakfast that we have once a month, that my platoon sergeant from my very first combat deployment was killed in an accident. He was a uh, CVMA guy. Combat Veterans Motorcycle Association. And he was killed, I believe it was while he was on his bike. I'm not 100% on that. So that's two, you know what I mean? That's, I mean, that's a suicide on Christmas. And then I've got a friend that just, you know, 39, 40 years old, went to bed, didn't wake up, left behind a wife and two beautiful daughters. I mean, just a beautiful family. Like the guy was just one of the most stellar veterans I've ever known in my life. One of the most stellar people I've ever known in my life. Like the guy would he'd do anything for you. It didn't matter. And then my buddy Mikey was killed the next day. And then the following day, I get a phone call from my sister that her son, my nephew, had attempted suicide and was now in a behavioral hospital. And, you know, I mean, you join the military knowing, you may not want to think about it, but you know in the back of your mind that there's a chance that people you know are going to die. They're going to be killed. Things like that. But then you get out of the military, you know, you're in your, I'm in my 40s. I'm, I'm 45. I don't expect my friends to start dying in their sleep. I've lost more friends since coming home from combat than I've lost from combat. I uh, met a guy, his name was, he went by Voodoo on Facebook. 
through some group, like a first responders medical group or something like that. But we met and he ended up winning a free copy of my book for a contest that we were doing on a giveaway. He wrote this stellar review of A Warrior's Garden. And I was just kind of like, it blew me away. And we started to talk, to get to talk and get to know each other. And then same thing as Dan, like he went to bed, didn't wake up. And so this right here, like part of this episode is about if you haven't been looked at or checked on for sleep apnea and you're a veteran, go get checked. Go do the sleep study. I don't care. It's annoying. I get it. It sucks. I get it. I don't care. Get off your ass and go get checked for sleep apnea because sleep apnea is a silent killer. It is killing veterans because we're going, we have obstructive sleep apnea or we have chronic sleep apnea that's caused from our service and we're not taking care of it. And then guys are going to bed and they're just not waking up the next morning because they stop, you stop breathing in your sleep and then something in your body doesn't trigger you to start breathing again and you die. It's a silent killer in our communities for veterans and first responders. So get up off your ass, call the VA and request a sleep study. Just get it done. The other thing is as veterans, a lot of times we, we choose because we're so used to our jobs is to prepare and go to war. We continue that thrive and that drive when we get home to live doing high risk things to fulfill that void. So what happens is on a chemical level, you know, you go to combat and and you get there and, you know, as soon as you get to Kuwait or to Iraq or to Afghanistan or to wherever you're going, you start to, your body starts producing adrenaline at a higher level than normal because you're, you're, you, you have to be in a heightened state of arousal at all times so that you can be prepared for what may happen, right? And so your body gets so used to having this excited a level of adrenaline, of endorphins, of cortisol just pumping through your body on a regular basis that when you get there and you get home afterwards and you're still alive after everything you've been through. So now not only while you're deployed do you have this sustained for 12, 13, 15 months of increased adrenaline and cortisol you have this extended period of time of just having extended amounts of adrenaline and cortisol and, and just endorphins and all that. But then you have the excited moments where this actual combat happens. And so now you have these aggressive amounts of adrenaline that kick in, of cortisol that kicks in, the fight or flight or freeze, right? Fight, fight or freeze. So you have these moments that just happen. And so, but it's, it's a consistent, sustained thing for, you know, 9, 12, 13, 15 months. And then you come home and it's gone. It's just gone. And you don't feel normal anymore. And so you start what drug addicts call chasing the dragon. You start looking for ways to recreate that, whether it's through mountain climbing or racing or driving super fast or, you know, getting into to martial arts, competitive fighting, like, you know, MMA, getting and drinking in a lot, partying a lot, risky sexual behavior, just all these different things that you do that will increase the amount of adrenaline and endorphins and cortisol in your system. Things that will mimic what you went through in combat, right? The, the, that chemical part, not the physical part, but the chemical part. It, it's addictive. It's a, it's, a, it's a drug. It really truly is. And so we come home and we start partaking in all of these things, you know, and the ones of us that don't, we, we're like, we don't want to have that, right? And so what ends up happening is we end up on all these medications, Seroquel and Celexa and Citrulline and, you know, just all of these like Prozac and just, you know, all these medications that their focus of this medication is to reduce all those things. It's to numb us to it so that we don't want it, so that we don't have it, all that. But then you look at all these different medications and what's the number one side effect listed on that medication? suicidal ideation. 
and and let me back up for just a second. Let me explain to you. Like I'm, I'm not coming at this from just a layperson standpoint. And by layperson, I mean uneducated person. I'm QPR certified, which is it's a suicide prevention program. I'm pair certified um, through a program called Sipper. I'm the ACT rep for our unit on active duty. ACE, sorry, ACE care escort. I'm very well trained on noticing suicidal ideation on noticing suicidal process on thoughts and things like that. Like I'm trained on how to react to it and how to support it. Um, I'm not a therapist. What I am is I'm the guy that is going to help get you to the therapist. I'm the guy that's going to intervene. that's going to talk to you until we can get a professional there to help. I'm going to be real about a lot of this. And and I mean, I'm always real, but I mean, I'm going to be very, very raw about a lot of this. If your goal in life because of everything you've been through is to take your own life, stop being a selfish ass. Because all you're going to do, and it's not even about transferring that pain to somebody else, because I mean, I get it that it's true, that that's what does happen. That if you take your own life by your own hand, that you are transferring your pain to somebody else. And I get it. And maybe at some point in your life, you just get to the point where it's like, that's viable to you. And that's fair. I understand. Stop being a selfish ass. The main thing that you do when you commit that act of suicide or of taking your own life by your own hand, the main thing that's happening, it's not about you transferring that pain to somebody else. You have now genetically picked a lock that didn't need to be picked. You are opening the door to everybody after you and beside you in your family to have a reduced inhibition to doing it themselves. This is really the basis of what generational curses in the Bible are all about. Once you do it, once you've gone through it, you're allowing that for everyone else after you in your genetic line. You have created a genetic marker in your family that allows for them to feel and do the same thing. And the crappy part is it skips generations after that because your kids may not do it, but your grandkids might. Your kids might not do it, but your niece and nephew will. Your doing it may cause your brother or your sister to do it, which causes their kid to do it. And it's fair to have those feelings. It's 100% normal to have the thoughts and the feelings that come with it. But what I'm going to challenge you to do is I'm going to challenge you to link up with a battle buddy a partner, a friend, a mentor, someone you trust. All right, we're going to take a break really quick to pay some bills. We'll be right back after this. Hey, everybody, this is Malachi. It's with the Warrior's Garden, and today I want to talk to you about Scars and Stripes Coffee. Look, this is an opportunity for veterans to get back in the driver's seat with their finances and get back in the driver's seat with their opportunity to be a part of something that's bigger than who they are. Scars and Stripes Coffee supports our nation's heroes, and it supports them in a way that's financially removing the burden off their own shoulders. So if you have the opportunity, go to scarsandstripescoffee.com. And buy coffee from a veteran today. Support our nation's heroes in a way that supports them. Hey, welcome back. I'm going to challenge you to take the Spartan Pledge. The Spartan Pledge was written by Boone Cutler. And it was donated to the warfighter and the veteran communities for free. But I think it's bigger than that. I think it's bigger than us as veterans and warfighters. I think this is something that fits everyone. So I'm going to read it to you. The Spartan Pledge. I will not take my own life by my own hand until I talk to my battle buddy first. My mission is to find a mission to help my warfighter family. It's two sentences. So I'm going to challenge you today. If you're struggling with suicidal ideation, if you're struggling with wanting to actually do it, I am challenging you that you reach out to everyone in your social network first. Be honest about it. Open about it. Talk about it. 
I've lost too many friends and too many people. I've lost more people that I care about to suicide after I served than I did in combat. In the first 12 months I was out of the military, I lost seven friends to suicide. I lost six in combat. So in the first year alone, I lost more here than I lost over there. I'm a huge, firm believer that it happens because we aren't given the tools and prepared for life after trauma. And so we don't know what to do with it. We, we go to war, we do what we're supposed to do, we do what we're paid and trained to do, and then we come home and we're not prepared to live with the results of that. We're not prepared to live with the results of the actions of what we actually chose to do for our life. We're prepared and trained to go do it extensively to the point that while we're there, our bodies can take over to the point that our brain actually shuts down and our body just gets it done from the muscle memory. Like, think about that for a minute. We're trained so intently that when we get there, our brains can shut off because the trauma and the craziness and the scariness is so big that our body just goes into muscle memory and just gets it done anyway. But we're not trained equally on how to come home and do something with the baggage that's left over from it. So let me break it down. I'm going to simplify this. We're trained to go pick up a 10 pound weight our entire career. Here's how to pick it up. Here's how to hold it. No one trains us on how to put it down. Not long ago, I worked for a recovery court and not long ago we had a guest judge that came in and he had these quips and one-liners and things that he had on paper, quotes and things like that. And he would, he would give them to the people that were coming up to talk and, and cause every one of the people in the court had to come up and talk about how their week was. And the one that really hit me and stuck with me, he gave it to one of our participants. And, and when she read it, it was simple. It was just this, the past is heavy, put it down as a warfighter, as a first responder, as a law enforcement officer, as a gold star family member, we're prepared to do what needs to be done, but we're not trained and we're not prepared to live with the after effects of it. Think about that. We're prepared to go to war. We're prepared to take life. We're trained to do it extensively, but we're not trained and prepared of how to live the rest of our life with that baggage that comes from it. That initiates so much of the suicidal ideation, of the amount of stress that we live under afterwards. I mean, think about it. You come home and you got to carry that. It's not going anywhere. You have got to carry that from here on out. What do you do with it? What do you do with it? I mean, seriously. So what I found is it, it's the ones that didn't have proper coping mechanisms. And it's not a bad thing. Like, look, I'm not bashing on anybody. You know, like there was this big, like, I'm not, let's put it out there. Like, I'm not for or against President Trump. I wasn't for or against Obama. I'm not for or against any president. I'm for my country and my people. And my people don't have a skin color. My people don't have an ethnicity because America is America. There was an interview done and Trump made a comment and people blew it out of proportion and took it out of context. Um, but it was very poignant and it was actually, I mean, it's very truthful. Like we're not, there are some veterans or some service members that they are not prepared to go to war and they're weak and they end up with PTSD. And no, it's true. We don't have to agree with it, but it's true. We weren't strong enough. We weren't prepared. We weren't trained properly to handle it. But what are we doing about it now? If we're not given the proper tools, if we're not given the proper coping mechanisms, are we going to sit on our butt and just wait for somebody else to do it for us? Or are we just going to take our own life? This is my opinion. Suicide is a cowardly act. 
it's a big one. It's a big act. It's huge. And it's usually because the person didn't see another way out. They were too afraid to go and continue doing what they were doing with what they were going through. Doesn't make them less of a person, but it's a cowardly act. It's a moment. They as individuals weren't cowardly. That moment was. There's a difference between being a coward and committing a cowardly act. Sometimes they go hand in hand and sometimes they're individual things. And I'm talking about this is an individual thing. And I know this is a hard episode for some people to listen to and some people to hear. I get it. I'm probably going to lose you on this one. I'm sorry. Not sorry. It needs to be said. I've, 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 I've been doing this for a while now. I retired in 2014. I had a girlfriend in high school kill herself back in the late 90s. Early 90s. Sorry. Early 90s. I've been dealing with this kind of stuff for a very, very long time. I'm tired of dealing with it. I was blessed to meet Boone several times. We're very close friends. Um, Boone was very instrumental in my transition from the military. And this is not, you know, I'm not pumping up Boone or making it about the Boone show today, but it, Boone created the, the the Spartan Pledge because he, he too had struggled with suicidal ideation. He had lost friends to suicide. And for the first 12 months while I was out, Boone just like, I, we were on the phone weekly because he wanted to make sure that I was transitioning successfully. There's a lot of misconception about this whole situation. I think, what again, what needs to happen is there's a, it's a perception shift. It's a perception change. I think that the veteran community, the warfighter community, the, the first responder community, it's the, it's the one community where a lot of times there'll be no, most of the times, there can be no warning. And I think this is another area where we fell. We train so intently on the warning signs for suicide in the military and in, in those communities that we figure out how to, when we when someone decides that they're going to do it, that we're really good at being able to hide those symptoms. And it's something we need to know. Like We need to be able to see them. We need to be able to call them out. We need to be able to spot them. We need to be able to see them. And I get it. But again, because we are an expert at seeing them, we're an expert at covering them. And it's funny because... You see, not funny, haha, but just like ironic, is that you see it's usually the ones that you thought were the strongest that are doing it and it comes out of nowhere and it hurts the most. And so something I've noticed a trend in for the last couple of years, last two years, is that the attempts and then the actual successful suicides that were, have happened amongst the very strong people in our community, they weren't following the same advice that they're giving. The advice that we always give is, look, if you feel like you're struggling, if you feel like you're going to take your own life, if you feel like that's the only way out, pick up the phone and call me. Pick up the phone and call someone, right? But then we as the leaders in the community, we as the ones that are really strong, we are the ones that people are looking up to. When we're going through the same thing, we don't feel like we have anybody to reach out to because we're still in that mentality of what we were on on active duty is that reaching out for help is a sign of weakness. And it's not. The sign of weakness is not reaching out for help when you know you need it. It takes someone extremely strong and confident in who they are as a person to be willing to reach out for help. So stop sitting around, get off your ass and do something to increase your growth. There's going to be setbacks. There's going to be moments in your healing journey that are going to suck and that you're going to feel like you're taking, you know, you're treading water or that you're walking backwards instead of forwards. It's going to happen. You have to learn from those situations because that's where you're going to find the most growth is learning how to transition through the discomfort and through the pain. Just because, well, I got to be honest. I just, to myself and to all of you, like I'm not suicidal right now. I, I, I struggle with ideation time and time, you know, time from time. It comes, it goes. I dismiss it when it happens because I just, I've got, st I look at it as like, I've got too much crap to do. I can't take my own life because if I do, it's not going to get done. And it sounds like I'm making a joke or making light of it, but I'm not, I'm serious. Like I've got too much shit to do. No one else is going to do it if I'm gone. There's nothing so horrible that you should desire to end your life. Nothing. 
dealing with traumatic loss, watch, I mean, watching the people you love die in combat, getting a phone call because someone was killed by a drunk driver. You know what I mean? Like instantaneous traumatic loss. Like it leaves so many questions. It leaves so much because then you, you start struggling with survivor's guilt. Cause like, why am I still here and they're not here and they were better than me. Well then take advantage of the fact that you're still here and live to in a way that honors their memory. And I know it's easy to say that. And so a lot of times it's really hard to do. And I get it. I understand it. Do it anyway. My buddy, uh, Jason, he was transitioning out when I was preparing for my second deployment. He was med, he was med boarding. He coined a phrase and created this word. It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, it's called stag repa. S-T-A-G-R-E-P-A. Stag repa. And it stands for stand aggressive and react passive. Stand aggressive and react passive. Being prepared for war and conducting war. Two different things. Managing the fallout afterwards is completely different from even both of those. It really starts with having a mentality that's rooted in stag repa and then is rooted in active over passive healing. You take time to work on you on a daily basis to be prepared to go to war. Why are we not taking time to work on you to be prepared to live with life after? It should be a major focus in who we are and what we are. If you're preparing to do something, you should be prepared to live with the life choice afterwards, right? I'm prepared to go to the gym and lift weights. Am I prepared for the recovery time? I'm prepared to go plant a garden, but am I prepared to wait on it to grow and to harvest the fruit and then to prepare it for the winterizing? If I live in an area where I can't grow year round. This is a non-sponsored, non-endorsed episode. This was just me needing to get this off my chest. You know, if you're, look, if you're suicidal, call one 800 273-8255. If you Google it, you can also click on, they have an online chat option. If you're a veteran and you're suicidal, call another veteran, call a family member, call a friend, call a church, go to the hospital. Don't do things that cause yourself to become another statistic. We're better than that. This is the last thing I'm going to say and I'm going to be done for the day. Um, we spend years perfecting our bodies and preparing our minds and everything to go to war. And we give it so much effort and so much drive and so much dedication and so much discipline to be prepared to go to war. And then we come home and we're, we're not prepared or trained to live with the aftermath, but we're not giving the same exact equal effort to growing and healing because it hurts. It hurts more than anything we've ever done. It hurts more than actually committing the act in combat. It's easier to take a life than to live with the actions afterward. Think about that. It's easier to go to war and take a life than it is to come home and live with the results of those actions. But it's only easier because we prepared and trained to do it for so long. Reach out. God bless. Take care. Thank you so much for being a part of the Warriors Garden Podcast. We'll catch you next week. God bless. Strength and honor.